0: Podcast brought to you by Cardavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. And today is episode 25. And the title of today's episode is Stay Woke, a conversation about racism, difference, and leadership. It's the hot topic and issue of the day, not only in our personal lives and communities, but within our teams and organization. It's a topic that's currently divisive and often incendiary, And this episode is an invitation to a more open conversation about racism and difference. Craig and I will be sharing our own personal journeys of opening and understanding, as well as some ideas on ways to open your heads and hearts about difference. So prepare yourself to be uncomfortable, maybe very uncomfortable, as we explore this important topic in our community, our businesses, and our nation. If you listen to our podcast before, you know that typically I open with some phrase like, I am so excited. And today, I'm not sure if I'm excited. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that I think, Craig and I both think, is vital to the conversation, but I don't know what I'm honestly excited about. In fact, I'm intimidated by the topic, and I'm hesitant about the topic. And it's the topic, it's the elephant in the room these days in our culture, and our businesses. And certainly throughout our society today. And the topic is difference, specifically right now, racism. We often don't want to talk about and I'll be honest, much of my life I didn't want to talk about it because it was something outside of me, it wasn't me, and it wasn't my problem. And what we've learned over the last two to three weeks is that this is a fundamental issue in our culture and in our business. And today we're going to talk about, Craig and I are going to share our stories, our journeys on this topic, They're ongoing journeys for me and Craig. We're going to talk a little bit about how these issues relate to leadership, how they do relate to business, but more importantly, Craig and I and our personal journeys on this topic, just to offer our perspective on what has become what seems like overnight, but it's always been there. It's just that the light is being shown so brightly on it today.
1: This has been something that say a month ago I was focused on COVID I wasn't thinking at all about helping my my friends who are black and thinking about what else is going on in the world and the injustices but boy after after some of the events that happened it really brought it to light and I said hey I have to stand up I have to start moving forward and my son told me about a rally, downtown Raleigh. I said, hey, I'm, I'm there with you. So we, we did. We went down, we, we marched with them. What I've come to is it's really about opening our hearts and minds. And for me personally, I've really dug in deep and said, okay, what do I believe about race? What do I think is really here? I've been one of those people that have said in the past, okay, great, affirmative action, all it is, is a way to reverse discriminate against white men without really knowing what's happened. And so this journey for me is a journey of understanding to open my mind, to understand what else is out there, to talk to some of my black friends and understand their stories. Because to me, those stories are so impactful. Like my friend Ben was telling me, he said, you know, when you get pulled over, you're not worried about whether you're gonna live through it. It's like, what? Just astounding.
0: Well, and for me, it's also been a journey of opening up and just, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this in terms of action steps we can take. It's really been shifting to openness and listening. Yes. I know even a couple of years ago, and I'm not going to, it, it would take us all day to march through the whole journey for both of us. Yeah. But I think about just a couple of years ago, how I was that person who would say, and I would say it to people of color and, and whites and say, I don't see color. I just see a man. And what I realized was I was saying that because that's what I thought I was supposed to say. Right. And I realized, you know, someone had the courage to tell me two or three years ago, a man of color. When I said that to him, he said that I don't trust you because mm. if you don't see my difference, that means you don't see me. And I said, wow. Hmm. So I Okay, to something not just about racism or not, but this idea that when I claim to not see color, I'm choosing not to see that person and not seeing their experience. I, I I have no compassion. I have no empathy because I'm saying, "Hey, we're just the same." And I remember this is a phrase that totally shifted for me in the last couple of years. If you had asked me about opportunities up until two years ago, I would have said, "I believe." that everybody in this country, in the United States, has the same opportunities. And I don't believe that's true anymore. What I believe today is everybody in this country has the same possibilities, but the opportunities are very different.
2: They
1: are very different.
0: One of the metaphors that I really resonated with, this idea of, in many ways in our culture, and it's not everyone, but in many ways, as a white man, this is about someone color versus white. I'm a man versus a woman. I have a head start. It's like, I'm running a hundred yard dash and other people are running a hurdle. It's a hundred yards, but it's going to, and, and someone can get there, but it's going to be pretty hard for them to get there as fast as I do, or as consistently as I do, or as predictably as I do.
1: I think it's interesting when we, when we look at it and we say, well, You know, I come from this, I come from a poor neighborhood or I come from this situation. You know, maybe I was the minority in my community, something like that. And so, therefore, I know what it's like to be a minority. I know what it's like to be black and growing up in America. I'm just going to call BS on that one. I know that it's it's one of these things that we try to deflect. It's, It's like when somebody says, if I say, yeah, well, black lives matter. And somebody says, oh, yeah, well, all lives matter. What would you say to that, Jeff?
2: Well, a couple of
0: years ago, I would have said, well, of course, all lives matter. I would have resisted it and not knowing why I resisted it. And I would have wanted, I don't know if I would have done a hard reject, but I would have gravitated to the all lives matter. And what I realized, and for me, it's only in the last probably six months or less, is that it was all about context. Do I believe that all lives matter? Absolutely, I do. But in the context of the conversation, when someone is sharing from their perspective of an impact they're having in their life yeah. and in their families and in their communities, for me, to, I, I realized it was dismissive. So, do I believe that Black Lives Matter? Absolutely. Because it's not an either or. Right. It's both. Yes, all lives matter. And I've, Been reading a lot of examples and thinking of a lot of examples recently that are just so amazing. I I posted something on Facebook today that I I wanted to share with you really quickly, because for me, it was probably one of the best things I've read uh, to talk about this issue in terms of the context of it. And someone had shared this picture, and it went like this. When the Boston Marathon was bombed and everybody's profile picture changed to Boston Strong, Nobody said, no, all cities strong. (laughs) The Las Vegas shooting happened. People changed their profiles to stand with Vegas. And nobody said, no, stand with everywhere.
2: Mm.
0: You know, have you ever seen someone counter a breast cancer post with, wait, what about colon cancer? And if, but if some reason someone says Black Lives Matter, it turns out, it turns into an all-inclusive All Lives Matter. So my question is, why is that happening? And ask yourself. Because one thing Craig and I talked about, I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm telling you what my experience has been and how it has shifted, and offer you maybe it's an invitation to opening up and seeing things differently. And what I realized, I love this line in this post was when there's a crisis, we have always rallied around that particular group, city, or cause. It doesn't diminish any other group, city, or cause. It just brings awareness and support to where it's needed.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And it's Just because we're talking about Black Lives Matters does not mean that we're not interested in Native Americans or um, indigenous populations or other, other races who happen to be here as well. It's not an exclusion. It's a matter of right now, we have some very serious issues going on with discrimination and death Related from this racism, and we need to deal with it at whatever level we can. And I'd say we we may want to up our level as leaders to insert ourselves into the conversation. But that conversation really starts with ourselves. And for us to say, "I know what it's like to be like this black person," if you're not black, um, I think is is a little strange because it would be like me saying, "I know what it's like to be a short person." I know what it's like to be a woman. I don't know what it's like to be either one of those. I can talk to my wife or another woman and find out from their experience what what it's like. I will never know deep down inside what it's like to be that.
0: And I think for me, I've just concluded, it's arrogant and disrespectful to me to presume that I do. Yes. Realize how dismissive I was and I, I want to highlight something. I, w- I meant to mention it earlier, it's the, and this is what it is. I'm sure that some of you listening, as soon as we started this topic, started judging me. That's okay. <laughs> I, I have no issue with your judgment. I'm just offering for you to pay attention to that judgment. Because my guess is some of you immediately went to the judgment of, oh, Jeff must be a Democrat. <laughs> Jeff must be a Democrat. And... You can choose to label me, but what I wanna tell you is that I don't know exactly what I am. And I know that, I can tell you this, I grew up in a, certainly a religious, um, conservative Republican family, and they say that we tend to carry that on, and I did. Most of my life, I have voted very heavily Republican. Uh-huh. But how I vote, and some of that has shifted, but I will tell you, for me, how I vote is informed by this issue, but this is not, to me, in any way, shape, or form about politics. Right. We've made it about politics, and it's create, created divisiveness, and it's prevented us from having these conversations, because what I've found is it's challenging to have these conversations because they tend to go to sides, they go to divisiveness, and in the workplace, it's really becoming an issue and we'll talk in a moment about the impact of this issue in the workplace, but for me, this is about leadership, and this is about my leadership in my life, and it's also about the leadership that I'm looking for in others, because I will be blunt. I never thought about this topic when it came to leadership until this year, and now I look at it and say, now I have my own business, but if I was to go to work for an organization I would be asking these questions about the leader, Hmm. not about their politics, but about their openness and about their heartness, H-E-A-R-T-N-E-S-S, their heartness when it comes to opening, being open to different perspectives.
1: And I would imagine you're looking for demonstration of this is how it's actually played out, not just words.
0: Absolutely. I want to hear, I do want to hear, I mean, the words will tell me something, but I really want to see it in action. And how is that showing up? And I've also realized in my personal journey, and probably the most profound shift for me, was starting to look at racism as not a personal matter, Mm. but a systemic matter. Because I I just kept telling myself, I'm not racist. I don't have these negative thoughts. I don't use these words we shouldn't use. You know, um, when I was a kid, I I said some things that were incredibly racist. Mm -hmm. There were jokes in school. There were rhymes that I look back and go, wow, I can't believe I said that. Because I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. I thought that was just how it was because we were all talking that way. So I started noticing and I started changing my language. But I was really focused on my personal belief system. And I now realize, am I a racist? Absolutely, I am. I don't use the N-word. I don't burn crosses. I, you know, I, I don't have those overt, hateful thoughts. But I see difference. And when I see the difference, I sometimes, not all the time, but I some take, make, sometimes make judgments mm-hmm. about those differences. I don't like admitting that to you. Right. I've probably said it in small groups. I've never said it on a stage before. I've never said it on a recording before because I was afraid of what the judgments would be. But I've realized it's really important for me to acknowledge that and just tell myself the truth and to be willing to share that with others. And now what I do is I work on myself and check my balance, my beliefs, and pay attention, be more aware to when I notice differences. You know, a real simple example is just a couple days ago, I was on a trip and I walked into one of those dollar stores And when I walked in, I noticed that all of the employees and all of the customers were black. I went, huh, isn't that interesting, Jeff? Because I know I never would have walked into a store that was all white and said, wow, look, everybody's white.
1: But you noticed. You noticed noticed what you were thinking, which means you're at least making some progress.
0: And that's how I look at it. That's my progress on the personal side. And then I've really come to believe, and I'm a student of history, So a lot of this is informed by my study of history that systemic racism is real. And it's, to me, it's the only thing that makes sense when I look at this historically, Yeah, because this is a nation. If you think about it, this nation was founded on racism. That's the truth. Our founding fathers, some had slaves, some didn't, but the premise of this nation's founding, when they said, we, the people, It really meant we, the white people. Hmm. And even more specifically, it meant we, the white men who own property. That's what it meant. Wow. I never saw that till the last few years. And I look back over the several hundred years since the founding of this country and the long battle with slavery and the long drought after Reconstruction to the civil rights movement and think, wow, we solved all the issues. Well, the civil rights movement, in my opinion, was not. Panacea. It wasn't the pill right. that we could throw into the, I call tainted water, and clean it up. So I, re- I deeply believe it's in the system. And the problem is, I believe it's so deep in the system that it's at an unconscious level for most people. Yeah. And one of my favorite phrases, it really hit me from a book I read two years ago. That's one of the things I've been doing, by the way. Mm. I've been consciously choosing to read about racism yeah me too. Reading, reading from black authors on the topic. Uh, the best book I've read in all this reading so far, Craig and I have both read, is "White Fragility" yeah. by Robin D'Angelo. I cannot recommend it more for anybody who's willing to just open up a little bit. <laughs> It'll make some challenge. But one of the, the quotes in this book I read a couple years ago was this: it said, "How do you solve racism if there are no racists? Yeah.
2: Right.
0: Wow. Because <laughs> most people, do I, how many overt racists are there in this nation? I believe a very small percentage. Yeah. Personally, I'd put it at 10% or less. Yep. However, I do believe there's a system that many of us, and starting with me, is just not aware of. Right. And I'm making decisions, I'm making judgments, I'm moving in directions, I'm having conversations without being aware of it. And that's, my i've decided that's my problem my
1: issue that's my journey yep. of awareness and change absolutely i think one of the things that she talks about in there is that what really came out of the civil rights movement and and getting into the affirmative action is that white women were the ones who benefited most from affirmative action it wasn't black people, other people of color. And so it was just interesting that we often look at that. And like I said before, I've probably looked at it and said, okay, now it's discriminating against me. It doesn't discriminate against me. It just says, let's make sure that there's some, some sense of a level playing field in here. But I think one of the, the phrases that Jeff says, you know, that really blocks diversity. Well, when it
0: comes to in companies, the phrase I hear most often is, you know, we'd like to be more diverse. We'd like to be more inclusive, but we just hire the best people, and as a well, we have the best people. And to me, that is the biggest obstacle to really create enriched, diverse workforces and teams, because we view it as a either or: are we going to hire the best people or the most diverse people?
2: Yeah,
0: I would argue that the best people. We got to number one, reframe what best is, but understand. <laughs> There are inherent obstacles, and we're going to have to do hiring and outreach differently in order to attract the best people of difference. Right. So we have to do it differently. We have to do it really intentionally in order to change the outcomes in our workforce. And there's, that's the problem. A lot of organizations, in my experience, talk a good game around this, but they don't show it up, doesn't show up in their actions and how they attract people how they define what they're looking for, how they go through the hiring process. I mean, there's even studies out there. This is challenging stuff. I'm going to be honest with you. There's studies out there that talk about this unconscious bias against people of difference, whether it's someone of color, also applies to women, where they've gone through processes where they they don't get to see the person, and they make decisions based upon interviews without seeing the person. And then the, the biases show up. And these people say, no, it had nothing to do. Oh, my gosh, but how is this? We're, we're choosing. They change it when they see them. They would make different decisions. So this is not, I want to be clear, this is not about saying what's, who's good or bad. That's what we get caught up in. I think that's some of the biggest resistance to this conversation is, well, if we're going to talk about racism, and if I acknowledge Black Lives Matter, then now I'm admitting there's an issue, and I'm admitting that I'm one of those people. No, it just means you're being compassionate and open and recognizing the challenges of others. And isn't that the kind of the world we want to create as leaders?
1: Yeah. I mean, in in Cartavera, one of our core values is love. Well, how can we demonstrate that without being inclusive, without saying we want everybody to be a part of this? I mean, early on in Jeff and I creating Cartavera, we talked about we need diversity in our management team, but also in our board of advisors and and other areas. And so, we are intentional about that. But, you know, talking about intentionality, we have impact wherever we are. And so, one of the phrases that we've come up with recently is lead where you are. I would look at that and say, okay, what I have done as a parent was intentional about putting our children around a diverse group of people. We made sure that they were in schools that had a lot of diversity. Making sure that they were in a diverse environment was one aspect. My wife and I had these discussions before we had children about how we were going to raise them. And one of the things that we were going to do is make sure that we never referred to somebody by the color of their skin, unless there was no other way to refer to that person. And so we wanted to make sure that our sons grew up not having a frame that came from us. Julie and I both were raised in families where our parents would talk about those differences, and there were very clear perspectives on those differences, but we wanted to be different from that. That does not mean that I wasn't still racist. It doesn't mean that I didn't already still have some preconceived notions or some prejudices built in, that I'm just starting to come to light now, 25 years later after having children. And so even though I was intentional about those things, there was still a lot of soul searching that I needed to do to understand my, my mindset and my heart set of how I approach this whole situation.
0: Well, and one of the challenges in creating change, and I hear this often, Craig, is people, and I heard a lot on the radio recently, people saying, I didn't create slavery, I'm not going to apologize for it. And I don't know who's asking them to do that because you can't. This isn't about going back and taking responsibility for the past. Right. It's about being aware of the past and deciding whether what role I'm going to play in creating a different future. That's what it's about. It's a choice. And leadership, we talk about a lot, it's about a choice we make. And so let's give ourselves a break in this regard. When it comes to what I consider systemic racism, nearly none of us created that. Right. We were born into it. I mean, it's even in our education system. One of my little trick questions of asking people recently is, when did women get the right to vote in the United States? Now, most people sadly, a lot of people say, I have no idea. <laughs> but those who have an idea will say, oh, it was in the early 1900s. And I'll say, you know, good answer but not correct. Because in 1919 Women got the right to vote in the United States if you were white. Mm. And people looked at me and said, really? Yes, it was white women that got the right to vote in the United States in the early 1900s. All the other women got the right to vote in the 1964 Civil Rights Amendment. So that means women of all nationalities other than white did not have the right to vote in this country until 1964, five years after I was born. Now, most of us don't know that because that's not what we were taught in school. Hmm. Now, I'm not saying that it was an intentionally racist teaching regimen, but that's an example to me of that systemic story. It's, It's a story from the white perspective.
1: Yeah, and we don't, you know, when we're children, we're not questioning whether what we're hearing is balanced viewpoint or anything like that. We just trust. That whoever's telling us knows more than we do, and so it's a form of indoctrination that we really need to understand. So I would highly recommend we have those conversations with our children, our young children, and make sure that they have experiences that they're around other people of of difference, because it enriches their lives in so many different ways. We just we don't have the same richness of experience if it's just our experience.
0: And this is an example of, as Craig's pointing out, as adults, we have, and I have, I'll just speak for myself, I have the right and the opportunity to choose my perspective, to choose what I dig into or not, to choose what I accept at face value or not, to choose to challenge my past belief systems or not, and choose to say that what I think is correct because it's what I think. I also have the ability to pay attention to where I'm hearing the different messages. And what I realized over the last just couple of weeks, it was almost shocking that I hadn't realized it before, is how often the message that I'm hearing
2: that there is no systemic racism are coming from white men. And I thought, wait a minute. Doesn't mean they're,
0: I'm not saying they're wrong, But I'm saying, is that the most trusting, trustworthy source (laughs) of that perspective? And also be careful. It's, It's easy to go out, and this is to me, this to me is an example of systemic racism, to go out and find a person or a small group that fits a certain profile that believes what you think. So, for example, I have people that come to me and say, hey, I saw a video of an African American man who says he doesn't believe there's systemic racism. This proves there isn't. (laughs) Um, I hear you. I hear you.
1: That's like listening to the media and assuming that what they say is true. Exactly.
0: There, there's, you know, we have our biases and we have our agendas.
1: Yes. What I've learned
0: for myself is it's going to take work to dig more into this. Absolutely. Personal choices I've made literally in the last four days. And this is another disclosure I don't really want to make is that I have realized I don't dig deep into these issues when it comes to to elections and representatives and who I vote for or don't, but I'm changing that. You know, the last few days I've been researching, you know, the people in my state, but also others and saying, you know, what what do, what does the, the overall Senate believe or the people in the Senate or in the House, you know, what are these belief systems? because that's one of the steps I can take, and we'll talk about more steps. Is to be more informed. And one of the I, I did a video just a couple days ago, encouraging everyone to be a debater. Mm-hmm. And what what hit me was in debate, you don't always get to argue the side or the the perspective that you believe in. A lot of times you're assigned it, and so the key is you have to understand all perspectives and be ready to make a coherent argument for both. And I thought That's a good perspective. If we did that now, I think we would be more compassionate, more empathetic, better and more roundedly informed versus I see so many, and I was one of those a few years ago, hey, I know what I know, and I'm gonna just take what I know and basically dismiss and use what I think I know to knock out your ideas. And so a lot of things that have happened in the last few weeks, I don't have immediate opinions. I go check it out. You know, a perfect example for me was there was this talk going on about defunding police. And I said, wow, I don't know. that. Does that mean? And I said, what does that mean, actually? And I don't know if I agree with that. And then I took a look. And I'm not done with my research. But I realized that defunding the police is not getting rid of the police. Now, some argue, are arguing to get rid of the police. But generally, defunding is saying, we're just going to start from scratch, and we're going to allocate other resources to other areas that people believe has more of an impact on reducing crime and creating safer neighborhoods, like mm. mental health. I believe we have a mental health crisis in this country. Yep. So yep. maybe it is appropriate to take a look at that. So what I'm learning is, and I'm choosing, back to choice, I'm choosing to me, to dig deeper. I'm choosing to seek to understand more. I'm choosing to listen more and to continue to be more open every day
1: to learn, to understand, and to empathize. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartevera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at com. Welcome back. Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges of doing that for ourselves is that if we then really dig in and we understand that, hey, maybe I do have this other viewpoint then we might have to do something about it. You know, we're going to feel compelled. Okay, well, if there's, if there's injustice, then if I don't do something about it, I'm going to feel guilty. And so we never want to feel guilty, right? So we, we avoid those things. We stick our heads in the sand and we say, la, 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 it's not, it's not going to affect us. So therefore, if it's not affecting me, it's not affecting my family, I'm not really going to do anything about it. But I think that's a very dangerous place to be because that means that we're, we're actually co-collaborators in a sense of perpetuating this type of environment. And we need to stand up and just say, you know, that's not acceptable. If, if your friend starts spouting off a racial joke, just say, stop. You know, that's not acceptable. I want you to change your hiring practices so that you're more inclusive. Because what I have seen is we had some really great candidates come through here but because of the color of their skin, you didn't hire them. It's it's time to call people out and say, look, this is what I'm seeing. Is this really the way that we want to run a company? Is this really in alignment with our values? And we need to understand what our values are, what we're going to stand for probably before we call a company to account for it. But especially if you're in a leadership position within your organization, you have the ability to have a voice That some other people may not, and so we encourage you to step up and speak out.
0: Well, I think you're absolutely right, Craig. Because one of the things I hear often from people is confusion, and then they'll say, "And what am I supposed to do about it?" Right. And and I think what can happen is if I don't know what to do about it, or I don't see a clear solution, then it's easy to just say, "I'm going to just stay where I'm at in my thinking," and. Sometimes, as Craig pointed out, some of these are small acts. You know, that's one of the things that I'm working on. I would love to tell you, but I can't, that every time someone says something that I feel is inappropriate, I speak up. I would love to tell you I do, and I don't. But I know this, I notice a lot more than I did five years ago. Yeah. And I speak up a lot more often now than I did five years ago or two years ago or six months ago. I figured out the best way to say, it. you know, one for me is that, you know, I, I you know, I notice this, not just about color, someone makes what I consider an inappropriate joke about women. Yep. I hear it constantly. And, and I will generally speak up about it. And I'll say something like, for me, my language is, you know what, that doesn't work for me. and I don't appreciate it. And then a lot of times I'll hear one of two things. Oh, stop being so politically correct. Or um, it was just a joke. And, you know, I've worked on what I say because I had a hard time. I tipped, I would get angry and then not know what to say. So I can generally stay calm and say, you know, what I'll tell you is it's not about political correctness. It's about respect. Right. And what you said is not respectful. And to me, it's a matter of simple respect. And that is what it is for me. It's about respect. And I'm encouraging you to consider that. What's that impact you're having? So that is an action, but I think for me, a lot of my action is still, and this is a phrase a lot of you see on social media, and sometimes you're not, you may not be clear what it means. It has deep meaning to me. It's the phrase, stay woke. <laughs> and I'm talking to a lot of my friends, and I'm blessed to have people in my life, but I'm also aware my life is not as diverse as I would like it to be. Right. And the fact is, I created that. Mm -hmm. But what happened is I believe I created that unconsciously. So to change that, I need to be more conscious in creating more diversity in my life. But the people in my life who are of color, the number one thing they've said to me is, the the bottom line is, Jeff, just keep digging and stay woke. (laughs) Pay attention. Pay attention to your thoughts, to your beliefs, to your choices. And that's what I'm doing. I'm being open. I'm learning, I'm digging in, and doing, you know, trying every day to stay woke, and every day having more and more willingness to speak up when someone says or does something that doesn't align, and here's my key comment, doesn't align with my values. See, that's the thing for me. This has become a matter of my values. This isn't about um, racism or no racism. It's not about sexism or no sexism. It's about what my values are, is to treat people with dignity and respect. Absolutely. In order to do that, I have to see them. Yep. And I have to empathize. And I have to, I can never know what their experience is like, but I have to be willing to acknowledge
1: that their experience is different because they told me it is. And we, we just don't know. I mean, we, we cannot fathom what it's, what it's like to be there. I remember... <sighs> Gosh, twenty-five years ago, something like that. I was in a leading Bible study and one of the couples in the group, she had lost her first husband. He had been he had been killed. And and you know, they were kind of doing they were going through some struggles uh, emotionally. And I said, I I just cannot imagine, I have no idea what it's like to to go through what you went through. And later they said, you know what? You're the first person that's ever told us that you're the first person that's actually admitted. You don't know what it's like to go through that. And that meant so much. Like, wow, how is it that people don't see that, you know, that they, they can't admit that. But I think that's, that's what we're facing right now is we're in a place where we don't know what it's like to be somebody else. I don't know what it's like to be you, Jeff. You don't know what it's like to be me. And we look a lot alike. (laughs) So, if we don't know that, then there's certainly, we, there's no way that I could comprehend what it's like to be a woman or to, to be a person of color in this environment. So, I would say one of the things to look at is when we look at the organizational side of things and we look at leadership and what are the benefits of being intentionally diverse? I mean, to me, it, it really enlivens our discussions because now we have differing viewpoints different perspectives, and it makes the, the conversation richer.
0: Well, not only enhances the conversation, in my view, different when we have differing viewpoints and differing perspectives that are not just, some of them are about life experiences, some of them are based upon our experience as people of difference, whether that's about color, whether that's about sex, whether it's about religious beliefs, whether it's about um, sexual orientation. That diversity creates a richer experience in the workplace. It creates, to me, better outcomes and better solutions. And the statistics are, and we I don't think it's surprising, it's almost actually kind of, wow, there's a, there's a lot of studies out there, but one of them from not too long ago was from McKinsey. Oh, yeah. And this was just mind-blowing to me. They, their report found that companies that are in the top quarter on gender diversity were 15% more likely to have financial returns above the industry average. But listen to this, and companies in the top 25%, the top quartile on racial and ethnic diversity, were 30% more likely to have financial returns above the industry average. Wow. I mean, and the bottom line is on the other side, they said that the least diverse companies we're statistically less likely to perform above the industry average. So the bottom line is there is there's continuing and building evidence that diverse companies are more profitable. Wow. Just being diverse. So the question is, now it's not about money, but hey, there's a financial return here. Yeah. That's just like the, that's like the icing. That's the cherry on top of the cheesecake.
2: <laughs>
0: right. Not only do we have a, a richer team experience, do we enhance the lives of our team members by this? Do we enhance the quality of our solutions and our innovation? You know, and we actually build a team of the best people, not just the best people that look like me. Right. On top of that, we get a, we get a financial
1: return. When you're, when you're asking about somebody's perspective, you often say, well, is that what you would teach your children? <laughs> and so I, I want to look at this from the perspective of if we had our child, if our child was, let's say we had a black child and they were entering into the workforce, would they be welcome in your environment? Would they be somebody that is promoted and advanced and could possibly lead the organization where you are? And if not, why not? What's what's preventing that? Is it just the top leader? No. It's it's people throughout an organization that's going to prevent that it could be the first level manager not promoting them and everybody else could be fine it, every organization is going to be different and most organizations it's not intentional you know we we don't want to fault them and say hey you know what you're you're a racist company we're going to label them as as something like that and nobody wants to have that label right even though Jeff and I would admit, yes, we are and have been racist. It's not something that we're going to just naturally be out of. We have a continuing journey. We will probably never be finished in that. But when we look at it from the perspective of how would we want people to treat our children, that's what's, that's what's going on.
0: And think about the times, and we've all, many of us have experienced it. I know I have, not based upon color, but based upon learning disability. Mm, My son had learning disability, and it bothered me that he was treated differently because of that. So think about what it's like, how does it feel to you when you feel treated differently because of something that's just who you are? Not belief systems, the color of your skin, the way you dress, where you live, what you drive.
1: Whether you have hair or not.
0: (laughs) Do you have hair or not? There's so many things that we don't We don't want to be judged, and we pretend that we're not really judging others. But that's the thing. It's really subtle. It's really subtle. And, you know, I think the big takeaway for me is about the workplace, it's going to take a lot of work. And one of the phrases a a buddy of mine gave me a few years ago, I was was in this place of, man, I don't know what to do with all this. I'm Mm -hmm. overwhelmed. I I don't know what to do. And he he said, there's no simple answer, Jeff. He said, and this is a person who was white. He said, Jeff, the question is, are you going to be in the struggle or not?
1: Yeah, that's a great
0: question. Are you willing to be in the struggle, to be, to be in the messiness, to be in the uncertainty? And I made a commitment. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to be in the struggle. I'm yep. going to be in the struggle. And I'm going to keep looking in the mirror every day and say, how did I lose? How did I use my privilege today without knowing? it? Hmm. You know, I want to know when I'm doing it. You know, I have this voice right now to do this. Yeah, but I probably have that voice. It wouldn't be the same if I was a person of color. So I'm a scanner. I've been a, I'm a scanner in life, and this is something I scan constantly, mostly in myself. And I listen to others, and I make a choice in the moment. Am I going to choose to speak up now or not? Mm. And if I don't, then I'm going to step away and say, okay, what was going on, Jeff? I'll talk to myself. So Why didn't you speak up right then? Oh, it was about this. So maybe next time I will, or maybe I'll come back tomorrow if that person's close to me and I have that interaction and say, hey, are you open to, to hearing, are you open to hearing my perspective? Yeah. Those are the choices. You know, I've used that word a lot, choices. And, you know, th- this is such a, comp- it's complex and it's simple. It is, there's a simplicity to this to me. I'm either open or I'm not. And there's degrees of open, but maybe there's not. I'm either open or I'm not. And, So I want I want you to take away there's some simplicity and complexity.
1: So Jeff, we just talked about some of the benefits to diversity, but when we look at some of the blocks to diversity, you know, one of those things is, hey, it doesn't exist. We don't have racism in our organization, so if we just claim that, we don't have to do any more work. It makes it really, really simple for us. We can sleep better at night. Oh, you know, it everything's fine. It doesn't exist. But if we talk to Black people we may have in our organization and find out, you know what's what's going on. You know, are do you feel like this is happening? So assuming that we know that there's no racial divide is is one way of us warding any changes to the status quo. And so it's accepting the default, right, rather than examining the default. It's very easy to just go by and say, you know what, we're just gonna keep going the way we've been going. But I think this is a time where we want to really examine this. We want to be an organization that's more diverse. One, because we can grow financially, but that's, as Jeff said, the cherry on top. The main thing is we really want it to be aligned with our values. And our values are those things of you know integrity and trust and love and being able to have an organization that cares about each other, well, you can't have that trust if there's this white privilege getting in the way of people advancing. I'm going to ask you all a question, and I want you to think about this. Think about why
0: are you, if it's true, why are you so attached to believing that it doesn't exist? Hmm. Because here's the way I look at the world. As soon as I say something doesn't exist, I'm done right i don't have to think about it i don't have to consider it i don't have to be open to it i don't have to change anything because it doesn't exist but so what's the reason that you are attached to saying something doesn't exist that there's there is no systemic racism that there's no racism in your belief system there's no racism in your organization that you're super inclusive you want everybody because there's no obstacles to it why what's behind that attachment because here's how i look at the world, not just this topic. If I acknowledge that it might exist and take action on that, what's the harm? The worst case is there's not an issue and nothing changes. The best case is there was something that I wasn't even aware of and I create the environment I say I want. Because here's my point, there is no downside to acknowledging the existence of systemic racism.
1: Well, so here's, here's my take on that, Jeff. I think that there, there could be, and the, the reason is, and it's probably more subconscious than anything else, it's that if somebody feels like there is an issue out there, then they have to do something. They have to make a change, and they may not have the energy to do anything beyond what they're already doing. They may be over feeling like they're overworked already, and to add one more thing to the mix is just going to be the breaking point for them. That's a personal obstacle.
0: But someone who says they want to create a better organization, a better culture, a better world, that's, that's their obstacle. That's my obstacle to it. I'm yeah. talking about externally. If I acknowledge something exists, but it doesn't, and I do deliver solutions to it, I create a better, even better outcome. Yep. And I assure that it's not in there. So I'm saying, ask yourself, what's the attachment to saying something doesn't exist? And like Craig said, I believe you're going to find it's personal. And dig into that. What is that thing that says this can't be true? And maybe it's that thing that says this can't be true about me, but hmm. this isn't about you. This is about our culture, our teams. It's about our systems. Right. I guess that I, 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 this, I'm about to say something I don't think I've said the whole time. I think this is the opportunity to stop making it
1: about you. <laughs> yeah, very good point, Jeff. It, it really isn't about us. And that's what leadership is about. Leaders are about the other.
0: yeah. And, and right. that feeds well into this power issue. So I was talking to a uh, coaching client, a C-level uh, team leader, C-level organizational leader. They've got about 50-plus people. And a couple of weeks ago, I said, so how are things going in the business? And there's been a lot of issues going on. And she said, I got to tell you, Jeff, all the issues we've been talking about have taken a backseat to the number one issue. I said, what's that? I said, it's everything going on right now around racism. It is be- Now, by the way, I would tell you this is not a very diverse organization, but she said it is becoming a real issue because it's becoming a daily conversation. It's becoming confrontational and divisive. And she said the biggest issue is the owners are choosing to share their opinions with other team members. And I have told them that's not appropriate. And by the way, that opinion is that there is no such thing as systemic racism. Oh, my gosh. All, this, is all, um, this is all a democratic plot and all this. And the point is not that they're not entitled to their opinions. And, you know, I think it would be great if we could have more open discussions in the workplace. I do. But here's the issue. When you have an owner who's in a position of power sharing their perspective, it is more than just their perspective. Right. And that's what these leaders, owners are saying to her, "No, no, it's okay, I'm just sharing my opinion." I said no, you're not. You're sharing your position as an owner. And that yeah. has power. And we talk a lot, Craig and I, about how important it is for leaders to pay attention to the power differential in how you interact with your team. It's not about not having opinions, but when you tell someone what you believe as an owner and you challenge what they believe, and especially if you're not open to at least hearing them, They're telling, it's more than just sharing an opinion. Yeah. And that creates another block to creating a diverse and inclusive workplace.
1: Well, and and really what it's doing is is it helps people to realize they can't trust that leader. Because if you're going to try to force me to believe what you believe, just because you're going to use your white privilege to put shove it down my throat, well, why should I believe anything else that you say? Why should I even... Put forth the effort to give you my suggestions and my recommendations for how to build a business.
0: So, we've talked a lot about the workplace and building these richer teams, but let's we're going to close off by talking about and repeating some of these things we've shared during this conversation about what Craig and I for ourselves see as steps we can actually take. You know, these are action steps, and some are more action oriented than others, and some are more external and some are more internal. But the biggest one for me is opening your mind. Mm-hmm. And we both talked about this a great deal. Um, open your mind to the possibility that you may not know what it's like to live as someone who's different than you. Yeah. In fact, I would say not the possibility. But as we both said, it's impossible to know what it's like to live as any other person.
1: Yeah, but you at least need to recognize, okay, it's possible. And then you'll pretty quickly come to the next conclusion.
0: Well, I'm, I'm gonna choose to skip that step, Craig.
1: <laughs> okay, Because I
0: get that that takes that, but you know, it's funny, I don't know that many people would look me in the eye and say, I know, I know, I absolutely know. They, we say it a lot, we'll say, I know how you feel. But the truth is, it's impossible to know that. Right, And I'm just inviting you to explore with a more open mind
2: and open heart And to be aware of the ways that you are defending. By the way, I want to be really clear.
0: I'm not telling you to change what you believe. I'm telling you what I believe. And I'm encouraging an openness. And I know this, when I am defensive, I don't learn. Right. And so here's the challenge to leaders. And this is what I'm looking for in leaders going forward, more than I ever have in my life. If a leader says, I'm a lifetime learner, but they're not open to hearing a different perspective, at least hearing it. Then <laughs> they're not
1: lifetime learners.
0: I'm not saying you have to agree, but learners listen and learners are open. That's the truth. That's what leaders do, are for me.
1: Yep. And leaders are readers too. You're going you're gonna to find topics of all sorts on a leader's book table. And I'm hoping that now something related to diversity is going to be included in there to at least inform yourself of what's going on. Now, what we're telling you and what we're talking about here is stuff that we've, we've been absorbing ourselves. So it's not like we're saying, hey, you know, we've got it all figured out and, and you just need to follow what we're saying. Not at all. This is not a judgment. This isn't anything like that. This is us sharing our stories and saying, hey, we figured out a couple things along the way. We realize that if we open our minds and at least start listening to other people and different viewpoints, we might actually learn something. And so I think another piece in there is we need to stop comparing. You know, hey, what you're going through is similar to this other thing that I went through. Probably not. You know, we we don't really need to make those comparisons. It's not like we have to prove that we are enlightened or that we have some sense of similar viewpoint we've we've had a shared experience. Okay, yeah, you broke your foot, I broke my foot. Okay, that's that's pretty similar, right? But when you're talking about these types of experiences of of coming from a different race and the experiences they've had in prejudice, it's probably not the same.
0: Well, I'll also tell you, this has been my personal experience in life. I generally am offended when someone says to me, I know how you feel. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what the topic is. I've actually, for most of my life, I've been very offended by it. And I will tell you the personal story where it hit me. Some of you know this, who know me pretty well. Many, many years ago, I came to do the math. Now, that's come up 40 years ago. 40 years ago, my brother was killed in an accident. And I remember being at the viewing, which was attended by thousands of people. Hmm. A couple thousand people came to this viewing for a 19 year old young man. And I remember so many people coming up saying, hey, I'm really sorry, I know how you feel. I had a sister, I had a brother, I had a father, I had a sister who passed away. They all wanted to tell me their story. Hmm. And I was offended because I felt like, you're not here to support me, you're here to tell me your story. I've always been, lived my life from a place, I think from that moment forward, I don't say to people, I know how you feel. I don't say, let me tell you about my experience because I'm taking over their experience. Right. That's a shift shift we can make. Um, And I really encourage something what Craig said is about reading. That's one of the conscious choices I have made is to read perspectives that I've not looked at before. Craig and I have both, both talked about White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo. And I'll be honest with you, if I was, I just read it a couple months ago. If I had read it two years ago, I don't know if I'd have been open. I hope I would have been, yeah. would have been more jarring. It was unsettling this time. It would have been jarring for me because yeah. it, I was caught in the things I didn't want to be true about the system. I didn't want it to be true. So I encourage you. I encourage everybody to read that. I would give that book to every leader and organization um, just from a place of openness. Another tremendous book that I read, and we'll put all this in the show notes, is a book called Between the World and Me. Mm, by a yeah. writer, um, an African American writer by the name of—I uh, always forget how to pronounce his name. It's Tana Hesse Coates is the best way I can pronounce it. A couple books, but the, Between the World and Me is a fantastic book about the African American experience. So read books. You know, get outside your comfort zone. Get outside your norm. And as we've talked about, be willing to listen to the stories of the others.
1: I would say, you know, one of the other things that we do is many people are not as voracious readers as Jeff and I. And so you're, you may be watching Netflix or something like that. Well, even on Netflix and Prime, they have things related to Black Lives Matters, And so just considering watching something that you wouldn't normally watch from a different perspective my my oldest son he's spent a year in korea and he came back and he's like hey let's watch this korean film now of course it's subtitled and everything else and so we have to work at it to to really understand what's going on but seeing that you know some of those movies has really kind of opened up oh wow you know people really live like that in this other other place and he said yes that's you know so we see that cultural difference and we see that in another part of the world but what about in our own cities, we we have experiences here that we don't know about, and I think opening myself up. I know I'm I'm about to go on a on a binge watch of of different
2: types of uh, movies.
0: Well, in one of those movies I'll just highlight here. I think it's on Netflix. I think it's a four part series or documentary. It's called When They See Us, mm. and. I haven't got through it yet because I'm struggling to even watch it because I am so troubled by what I'm seeing. And it's a story of, I think the story was called the Central Park Five. It was a case in Central Park, I think in the 1990s, where a, a young white woman was raped in Central Park. And there were five young African American men who were and ultimately convicted of it, and it turns out later that they were innocent, but it really graphically to me displays, you know, what was going on in the system. Yeah, there was some personal bias, but it's talked about the system, and it's so unsettling, it's hard for me to watch to think about that level of injustice, and it's easy for us to dismiss that as a coincidence or an isolated incident. My encouragement is to consider, is that true, or is this the evidence of those systemic issues? That yep. to me is the real question. And back, it comes back to being open to a different perspective and maybe even a ch- an unsettling perspective.
1: Yeah, and I think a, a big part of that being open is to not be defensive, just to sit back and listen and not respond. I'd say just shut your mouth for a while, just listen to what somebody else has to say about it, what their truth is.
0: On one of those examples of that defensiveness is, is a real life example, probably. I don't know, six months to a year ago, I was sitting on a porch with some other men for a regular gathering for some drinks and cigars, and this, we started talking about this topic. Hmm. I believe there were eight of us at the table. Uh, there was one African-American man. There was a man of Hispanic descent, and then the other six were white. And we got on this topic, and several of the men who were white started saying, yeah, I don't think there's an issue in the police. I don't think there's systemic racism. Wow. I think it's all just coincidental. And I was, I jumped in. I jumped in and said, I, and I jumped in probably with too much anger. I did. Because I felt that was so small minded. But yeah. I turned, the, the man of color, the African American man, very, very softly, without anger, just asked a question of the group. He said, How many times have each of you in your life <clears throat> been pulled over? By the police, first in a situation that you really had no idea why, even after that. We went around the group to the six white men, and between the six of us, the total was one. Wow. And uh, the man of African, the African American man said, I'm at eight.
1: I was talking to a 24 year old the other day, he said it 18 times for him. And this
0: man is a – at the time, over the course of time, it's when he was a Cleveland firefighter and later mm-hmm. even as an entrepreneur and business owner, driving a nice car and all the stories we make up about types
2: of cars and things. And I judge that those six men, including myself, were willing to hear that and say, huh, huh.
0: And maybe that's all it takes is to be willing to get to a, huh moment yeah maybe that's, that's maybe that's the next step is just
2: huh <laughs> it,
0: right and let it be and take it in and yeah you know, one of the phrases I loved I really love from Robin DeAngelo's book White Fragility she said early on in the book she said even if groups of people are not intentionally excluded from other groups it doesn't mean they're not excluded hmm Right. That to me was this real reminder and awareness that it's not about whether something's done intentionally. And in fact, the greatest change is to achieve change when it may not be intentional. That's why this is messy. That's why this is uncertain. If you're looking for evidence that something exists, you might not find it. So now the choice is, do you proceed differently? even without
2: evidence yep. and conclusive proof. Yeah, and I think that
1: comes to self-examination and really understanding. You know, you have that huh moment, but then it's a matter of active questioning. And you're saying, okay, so what do I think about this? But we need to start understanding <clears throat> where, where are we? What are we thinking when we're, when we're looking through resumes for somebody coming in? And I, I notice that the name is clearly not a white name. Okay, well what do I do? Do I discount it or do I say wow, you know, this is somebody that I want to look at at least as much as the other people if not more. And so it's a matter of self-examination, understand what we think and we feel. I think from from there I would say having conversations and being open, you know, again being in that state of listening, but like Jeff and I have both done just talking to some of our black friends and opening up the dialogue and saying, you know what, I want to I want to know more. It's not that they have to teach us how. It's that because of the relationship I already have with that person or that Jeff has with that person, we're able to open the dialogue and say, you know what, there's a lot of stuff going on here. How is that affecting you? Can you tell me some of your stories? You know what, what tell me what maybe you've experienced in the past and how this relates to that. And it's just asking some questions, listening. And, and listening, I would say, with an open heart. Yep. And I think the, the next, next piece, we talked about opening our minds, but opening our hearts is the next piece, having compassion. And, and, and once we start understanding where they're coming from intellectually, and then if we kind of put ourselves in that position and say, well, what if that had happened to our children? It's like one of my friends was saying, we don't know what to tell our children now. When you go out and if you get into trouble, Do you go to the police? Well, maybe not. So I can't imagine ever telling my sons that, right? And so it's it's a matter of having compassion for where they are. And then finally, it's probably going to lead into some action. Maybe we choose to take some small steps, maybe move beyond the reading and maybe even move towards activism in certain ways of letting our voices be heard of where we are.
2: And for me, all of this comes down to a simple question, which is choice. It's the choice. Yeah. How am I going to choose to interact with
0: others that are different from me?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and what I learned over the last few years is I was making a choice to treat everyone as if they were the same, which I realize now was dismissing their experience. Yeah. It was like saying your life experience doesn't matter and that's not who i choose to be as a leader and i i love that concept you know this we talk a lot about leadership here and i believe this is about leadership absolutely and it's not just corporate leadership and it can be it's not just governmental leadership and it can be it's not just community leadership and it can be it's about individual leadership yep you know i may not be able to change the world but i can i can choose to be more open to show up differently to listen to be more empathetic, to be more respectful, to be more honoring, frankly, of differences in others, rather than pretend that they don't exist. Yeah, that's yeah. the choice I've made, and that's that's the struggle I'm in. Yep. As a man, as a person, as a father, as a partner, as a leader, that's my struggle, and I'm it's off, it's uncomfortable as hell.
1: <laughs> yeah. Choosing to be in it. Right. Well, it's a matter of leading where you are wherever you are. Well, as Jeff and I both said, this is not easy. It's not comfortable. It's not something that we jump up and down saying, oh boy, we get to talk about racism or we get to really dig in and uncover our souls and, and expose what what may not be pure in that place. But it's, it's something that's necessary. And as we're, we're coming to grips with it even more now, especially because of the the most recent events. But really, it's been a progress over time. I'm realizing just in the last few weeks, some of my thoughts have changed about how I perceive things. And so it's a matter of being open. I'd say be part of the dialogue. Be part of, of what's going on and examine yourself and make sure that you're not
2: contributing to any more injustice, but rather being part of the solution. Well, I said at the beginning, like Greg said, I wasn't excited about this topic.
0: <laughs> and maybe someday I'll be more excited about the topic. And I, I feel more excited having finished this, these thoughts. Right. But it's still uncomfortable and uncertain. And I just encourage us all to be really conscious of the choices we're making about differences.
1: Like this podcast, you'll love the Cartervera Tribe. The Cartervera Tribe is a community of growth committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartervera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartervera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff, where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds, where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days, where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa, who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to Cartavera.com. That's C A R D I V E R A.com. See you on the inside. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah.